The story we just heard from Matthew's Gospel is one of the principal stories that has shaped Christian tradition and Christian mission since the beginning of Christianity. We often call it the feeding of the 5,000, but you will no doubt have noticed that the crowd that was fed in the story was many more than 5,000, since the women and the children, for some reason, were not included in the count. It's a story of abundance and of wonder, in some ways more astonishing than the many healings that Jesus did. And it's a story that prefigures the way that Christians have gathered and worshiped ever since. For the feeding of many with a small amount of bread is fundamental to our practice and understanding of communion. But in some ways, it's a very unremarkable story in that things like this are happening every day in the world. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis points out that the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, and even that other miracle of abundance, the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana, are not really different than the transformations that happen every year in our oceans and farms and vineyards. Small amounts of grain, small numbers of fish grow and reproduce until they can feed a multitude. And through the agency of sunshine and vines and yeast and tender care, water is turned into wine all the time. And for C.S. Lewis, this commonality is not an indication of the ordinariness of the feeding of the 5,000, but rather an indication of the deep inherent miracle of a world that was created to nourish all of us. The growth of fish and grain and grape is no less miraculous today just because it usually happens more slowly than in this gospel story. And there are other kinds of feeding miracles. Let me tell you a couple of stories. When I was just out of seminary, I served as a chaplain to a homeless shelter in San Francisco run by the Diocese of California. The shelter offered breakfast and dinner to the residents, but not lunch, <clears throat> and it was the custom of one of the nearby churches to host what in California might be called a barbecue, but in other parts of the country would be called a cookout because we served hot dogs and hamburgers and not smoked ribs or brisket or chicken, to the residents of the shelter at lunchtime four times a year. As it happened, a few days before one of these cookouts, one of the residents of the shelter showed his printed announcement to a staff member from one of the downtown feeding programs that did offer lunch. And that program, thinking that it was an open invitation, decided to take the day off, close their facility, and send all of their clients to us. It turned out that word spread, and four other feeding programs decided to do the same thing. So, by the time the volunteers got to the church to light the charcoal and begin setting up for the cookout, there was a line of hungry people down to the end of the block. And long before we were ready to begin serving, the line stretched nearly around the very large city block where the church was located. Since we were expecting about 100 people and the line had eight times that many, volunteers were dispatched to every grocery store in the area 
to buy up all of their hot dogs and buns and potato salad and bag lettuce and crystal light lemonade and chips and baked beans and ice, not to mention paper plates and plastic cups and flatware. Well, everyone who lived nearby raided their own pantries and refrigerators for ketchup and mustard and relish. We reeled a cart down the line to serve lemonade and water to those who were waiting to try to, try to keep the line orderly and to keep the many homeless people who were emotionally unstable from becoming agitated or even violent. The bishop's own mother, who was a member of that congregation, had brought a couple of large pans of her homemade blueberry cobbler. And she went from table to table, dishing out minuscule portions, augmented by store-bought cookies, and had a conversation with each person who she served. In the end, over 800 people were fed, and no one was turned away. Here's another story. My sister and her family belonged to a Roman Catholic congregation uh, in Northern California. One year, the priest of that parish decided, together with the church's outreach team, to do something different with the outreach budget. Instead of spreading the money thinly between the organizations the community supported, he gave the money back to the congregation. Inspired by another parable, the parable of the three servants, he handed out money in 50 and $100 increments with the instruction that the parishioners were to do their best to make the money grow before returning it to the church to serve the needy. The money, about $2,000 in all, was used to fund lemonade stands, and stock investments, and bake sales, and even to advertise a fundraising concert that members of the community put on. And in the end, the congregation returned over $30,000 to the outreach budget. A Presbyterian pastor friend of mine does a similar thing on a smaller scale. He gives each member of his congregation a dollar once a year and charges them to come back with a story of how they use that money to make a difference in the community or in the world. The stories are collected and published, and the whole congregation becomes the outreach team of the church. Now, these stories of mine all have one thing in common with today's gospel lesson. Because you see, the essential thing about the story of the disciples' feeding of the crowd is not that everyday miracle of a little becoming enough. Far more important is actually the instruction that Jesus gives his disciples. The disciples, after all, want to send the crowd away before hunger makes them unruly. But Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And in the original Greek, the word you is in an emphatic form. No, you give them something to eat. Jesus tells his followers that feeding the hungry is their task. But more importantly, he tells them and shows them that despite their doubts, what they already have is enough to do it. We don't know for certain whether the bread and fish kept dividing repeatedly or if, as some interpreters have suggested, the act of sharing from so meager a store caused others in the crowd to pull out the food that they had hidden away for themselves so that all were able to eat. But it doesn't really matter. Whether it was the miracle of fecundity or that no less wondrous miracle of generosity, 
all were fed, and what they had already was enough for all. And we know that the hunger in our community and in our nation, and indeed in the world, is not caused by there being too little food. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization reports that worldwide food production is enough to give every single person 2,700 calories a day. Enough not merely to live on, but for every man, woman, and child in the world to become obese. So science confirms what Jesus shows us. What we already have is enough. That in itself is a miracle. The abundance of creation is truly staggering. But it leaves us with the same challenge that Jesus gave his first followers. You give them something to eat. Now, I don't propose to solve the difficult economic, logistical, and social problems of world hunger here and now. But I can state with certainty that what we have among us is enough to feed the hungry in our own neighborhood. But in this strange time of pandemic and quarantine, we are even more challenged to accomplish this. More people are out of work. Children who depend on school food programs for adequate nutrition are, in many cases, going hungry. Getting the food resources we do have to those who need them is ever so much harder these days, especially for those who must weigh the health risks of public transportation against their need for food. And even for those of us with the means to feed ourselves and our families, keeping our pantry stocked is far more challenging than in ordinary times. But we are resourceful, and there is enough for all. Many individuals and organizations are developing creative solutions for the challenges we now face. And I have seen for myself the astonishing generosity of this community when you are aware of real needs. Now during Lent, I asked you to ponder what of the good things you enjoy you're actually entitled to. This is a different question. When Jesus says you give them something to eat, we are challenged by the how even more than the what. Most of us have enough to share, and most of us indeed do share. And the Paris survey shows us, among other things, that there is a desire here at St. Wilfrid's that we strengthen our outreach efforts. And I hope that even during the transition, even during this pandemic, we will be able to turn that desire into action. Abundance is fundamental to the nature of creation. Not only is what we have already enough in both what we have been given and in our generous hearts, that when we combine those gifts with those generous hearts, both the gifts and our hearts, almost miraculously, will continue to grow. Amen.